Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is Putting the Science in Science Fiction, where fiction and science collide. What's up, sciencers? Uh, we're back on another episode of Putting the Science Science Fiction. Today, without Mr. Connolly, you got Ben Dickow and myself, Matt Medney, here to take you on a journey. What, um, how are you doing, Ben? I'm doing good. I've, uh, uh, my first cold in like over a year. Um, so I think Ironic my timing. Not, not, yeah, really, exactly. To fully vaccinated and now I just have a cold. But, uh, yeah, I think my body's just not used to being sick, and it's being like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 uh, I, I had read a lot of studies about how there were a bunch of scientists really fearful about <clears throat> unquarantining because of the biomes and the dirt sure. and the, the lack of, um, you know, uh, um, treacherous waters you go through every day by being out in the open, which actually helps mm -hmm. create your immune system. Mm -hmm. And if you have a, mm -hmm. a, a herd of humans that uh, don't have an immune system because they haven't been out in the wild, um, it, it could right. be, it could be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, re-indoctrination of society. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think, not just the isolation of the past year, but I think just the, the fastidiousness of everybody, washing hands, wearing masks. I mean, it's great. I mean, what a great sort of, I mean, listen, there are a lot of tragedies around the pandemic, but what a great silver lining is that, you know, a lot of us just haven't been sick for a long time. There were, what, 33 flu cases this year? I mean, that's fantastic. Um, but then, yeah, I could totally, I could totally understand why people would be like, huh, What's the long-term effect of the fact that nobody's getting sick for a long time? Are we, are we harming her? Yeah, are we getting weaker? Or what's what's going on? So anyway, I say that my body doesn't know what's going on. My body totally is fine. Um, you know, I have a three-year-old son who brings all kinds of craziness into the house, and that's where this is from. <laughs> I know that. I know the feeling. My uh, Tommy. Coriel, who is the newly anointed president of Heavy Metal, uh, has a mm. two-year-old daughter. And when she gets sick, everyone gets sick. Totally. <laughs> totally. So. Oh, it's funny, actually, not to get too far on this, but it's funny, like, we're a family of four. And usually what happens is that there's, there's a random one person who doesn't get sick. That, 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 that's a good mm -hmm. lead-in for the topic I wanted to go mm -hmm. through today, which is, do you think good science and good fiction are prerequisites for an intellectual society? Do they intertwine? And what happens when either of the two are failing? And, and this is even more, you know, I feel interesting because th this afternoon, 
uh, I was having a conversation with my buddy Augustine, who's a um, who you, I have to introduce cool. you to. You'd love him. He is an Emmy Award winning producer who also has the prevailing patents that he's created on the most cutting edge Alzheimer's disease. So he has no two way. PhDs in virology. Yeah, so he's a virologist and an immunologist. And he's also an Emmy Award winning producer. Super dope dude. And we were talking about this day because he writes these comic books that we're looking to partner with mm-hmm. at Heavy Metal. And he talks about how the best scientists are also mm-hmm. creators. Oh, yes. And there is this symbiosis even with you. You're a science educator and a scientist by trade who's also an amazing creative with your podcast and your uh, reenactments of the mm-hmm. stories, which I think are amazing. And, 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 you know, that all, in my opinion, you know, dovetails into this idea. Like, do you believe that, you know, science, fiction are needed to keep people thinking ahead? Absolutely. I mean, yes. And, you know, kind of think about it. I don't know. There's a lot of ways to enter into this conversation, I guess. Um, You know, when when did civil you know where where do we define civilization right it's is it you know when we're starting to you know plant crops and people are starting to kind of come together and then you've got more of a society kind of thing happening or is it you know the cave paintings in France or or whatever um, you know the thing about I think to, to me the thing about art and science um, these are innate human behaviors that happen no matter what and that we that's part of who we are it's part of nature right and over time we have codified these things we put labels on them and unfortunately we see this in education a lot is that we still perpetuate this idea that you're either a science person or you're an art person and never the twain shall shall meet and it's really destructive because you get you get kids who totally feel who will self-identify then is like, well, I'm not a science person. So they, they don't even open themselves to that. It's it's a real tragedy when it's not the kid's fault. It's the adults around them who've been kind of perpetuating this bifurcated identity. Right. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I, I want you to keep going, but you just said something there that resonated because I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast last night and he had Neil deGrasse mm-hmm. Tyson on and Neil had this amazing perspective that, you know, the thing I love about Neil is that he says things that are so obvious, but you've never said <laughs> out loud. So you've never really contextualized yeah, yeah. them until uh, you hear it. And one of the things he's saying is that there's like this uh, Alice Cooper song from, you know, 1980, all about, you know, never having to go back mm-hmm. to school. Um and, and uh, like, you know, graduating high school or college or whatever, you never have to go back. And Neil's fundamental point was, if our pop culture hates education <laughs> this much, then it's our schools that have failed and not sure. education. Because the idea of learning should never sure. be a chore. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I feel like that, 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 that piggybacks yeah. on, on what you were just saying, which is, you know, education, science, fiction, they all mm-hmm. should be fun, right? Because when you do it, you know, um, when you smile, you learn more. When you're not, when you don't have your guard up, mm-hmm. you learn more. And the only way to do that is by yeah. having fun while yeah, you're learning. That's, you know what, 
personally, that's exactly the reason why I'm in the education space that I'm in. I'm not, I'm not in a school, nothing, you know, I'm not here to bash schools or anything like that, but, um, being in the out of school space, either with a museum or some other sort of education thing that happens outside the classroom, um, we are not hemmed in by that, uh, by that. And we're driven by this idea that, um, you know, kind of distilling it down, like learning should be fun, but I think there's, it's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's that people, you have to set up these systems or you have to set up these environments or whatever it is where people come at them on their own free choice. It's because of things that they're interested in and you give them a lot of latitude to be able to explore and do things. Um, and yeah, I, I, listen, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. I agree that, um, you know, I agree with what Neil's saying. I'm going to, let's just call him by his first name. Right. Um, cause we all know him. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's too, well, he wants, he wants to be the neighborhood. Right, exactly. Exactly. Right. This. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he's right. Like the, in many ways, sort of formalized schooling and things like that have, have taken, they've taken all of that out of, of what we do. And I think what we do at a museum or what we, you know, outside of that is to try to balance that with the way that we more naturally learn about things. I think, you know, one distinction that I do all the time is I try not to talk about science education and I talk about science learning. Because to me, education is something that's done to you and learning is something that you do yourself or that you do in a group or that's something that's, that's a, again, sort of an innate behavior um, that comes from you yourself as opposed to education being something that's very much put on top of you. Um, I love that. I love that because you should never stop yeah. learning, but being educated. Yeah, because like, you know, I always go to my own experiences, you know, um, you know, uh, with the success I've had mm-hmm. writing, it, it, it obviously could not have been a surprise in a sense. And even more so than that, I had, I had these, you know, these tent poles that I remember, like, you know, I got a perfect score on the writing section mm. of the SATs and no educator, no teacher at schools ever said, Maybe you should like double down mm. on your writing. Like I had to figure yeah, that out yeah, for yeah. myself. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which is like in retrospect now you think about mm. these things and I'm like I always loved the writing classes the most but like no teacher ever like mm-hmm. challenged me or asked mm-hmm. me things and I was never a multiple choice question yeah. guy. I was always rather mm-hmm. write an essay, right? And nobody that's picked amazing. up on that. And and I think that's yeah. that, right? Isn't that yeah. isn't that fascinating? It's like like that that, you know, education obviously needs to be, for lack of a better word, massetized right. because there's so many people that need to be, you know, put through schools because our population is so large. But I feel like we need to reimagine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I mean, I think and that is absolutely something that is now being said out loud in, in the education sphere, in the, in the sort of formalized education sphere. And I mean, it's something that I think people have been, know, they've known that problem for a long time and they know that transformation has to happen. It's just, there's a lot of forces involved in public education um, that, you know, that have to be balanced, that sometimes slow progress on that kind of stuff. But you're absolutely right. I think, you know, personally, I, I mean, I'll tell you this though. Um, uh, I'll tell you this, that, one thing about this year, this pandemic year, 
that's been amazing has been that transformation of education. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, a teacher who has to face 30 kids over a Zoom can do all the personalized, can, can necessarily be the, to have that personal touch, but just in large, that so completely broke the public education system and the paradigm that even when schools will go back to sort of quote unquote normal next year, it's never gonna it's never gonna be able to be normal. And there's more energy around transforming the education system now because we saw what can be completely different. Um, and 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 it's and we saw what can be completely different in a very short amount of time. It's not like you know in the past. You know when I first started all the you know twenty years ago. Um, you know, people would talk about education reform and it's always like this, oh gosh, it's going to take, it's a generational change. It's going to be all this kind of stuff. Um, man, this year has shown that you can completely, you can completely change the system very quickly. You have to have a really good motivator, like closing everything down, but, um, but it's not, it's not beyond us to be able to, to think differently and do something else. Um, and now, no, I think your story is, your personal story is really cool too, because it's, um, it's about that sort of recognition of, of the learner as an individual. You're in the context of this social thing. I think a lot of learning is social, but still being able to sort of point out and encourage and, and, and make people aware of their own, you know, if you're a 13-year-old, you're not really aware of yourself. Um, the, the adults have to be aware of you and kind of help you along that. And I think it's, it's a big deal. And it makes a big difference, man. I'm... I'm going to stop my soapbox for a minute, but, you know, there is some really good evidence out there that shows that people make their career decisions based on things that happen outside of the classroom, you know, like encouragements that are outside of the classroom, the self-exploration and things that are interesting to them outside of the classroom. But a lot of times people are making decisions about what they don't want to be because of things that are ha happening in the classroom, Right which is not cool. <laughs> it's the age old saying with uh, jobs can be attributed to this as well, which is you join a company for the, the company and you leave because of the manager. Right. right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, it, it's that same para paradigm, right? Like right, you right. might leave a classroom or a vertical of study because of that manager or that teacher, but you came right. into it because of the excitement of what might be. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, that's absolutely and, true. And I couldn't agree with that more. Like I, you know, who knows? I could have been a scientist. I had a really yeah. not so good chemistry teacher who didn't know how to teach us. And yeah. um, and it, it really perturbed me. And then uh -huh. I got really into mathematics and I got really into physics, but I didn't have the base knowledge that I needed uh -huh. because yeah, I didn't yeah. have the chemistry. So it was, it was, it was an, in, and then it, it drove me more into, you know, marketing and management. And then after school, I came back to the sciences, but, mm -hmm. but it was an interesting thing because, you know, we had, we had this teacher where I, I literally got a six out of a hundred on a chemistry test. <laughs> I was bad. No judgment. I'm just, that, that's a big, was, that's a big range. It was six. It was 10th grade. Six out of a hundred, oh, and man. and it took three weeks after that to get him to do office hours to try to help me. And by then, I was I was 
un- uninterested. Of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, that sucks. Um, but you know, um, yeah, that totally sucks. I mean, that's the other thing too is you gotta be, you gotta see how what you gotta know your audience, right? Like if you're gonna if you're gonna give a tenth grader a six out of a hundred, then you have to understand that there's gonna be psychological consequences to that, and you should be there to support <laughs> in a timely manner. Exactly. Um, but, you know, something that you said kind of gets back to your original question um, about this idea of, of science and fiction and, and that kind of stuff. Because, and, you know, this is a topic that we almost come back to every podcast, which is the sort of inspiration ability of, of, of fiction to be able to, to envision, in, in, envision what's in the future or what's coming up or something like that. And, you know, the same applies to your life. So, you know, you got to, there's a certain point where you start in, you know, thinking about what are you going to do and what are you going to be and, and how are you going to live your life and stuff like that. And, um, that's a really, oftentimes that's commodified in the sense that it's about the career or, or something like that. And I think, you know, I think there has to be a little bit more of the inspiration part, um, and not just the sort of, you know, the data part, which is, you know, make a decision about your life based on, you know, return on investment or something like that. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, the, the energy of fiction and to be able to pull yourself out of, you know, reality in some ways um, is really helpful because it helps you sort of, you know, think about, it helps you construct the fiction of your life in some ways. I, I hope that made sense. A hundred percent makes sense. And I, I would even say, you know, I, I think that a lot of people agree with this. The older you get, the less creative you get. You're more imaginative as a kid, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not for everyone, mm-hmm. but, like, generally speaking. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. And, and, and if you're if you're having all these amazing thoughts and ideas and worlds in your head when you're a kid, you're not being focused or, or guided the right way, mm-hmm. it could it mm-hmm. could create... Could create a uh, an interesting uh, society, which is is probably where we are today. Where, you know, a, uh, a, a I'm I'm the biggest proponent that teachers should be making at bare minimum the amount that a CEO makes. Right? Yes, like bare yes. minimum. You know, yes. like, like I, it, it is it is it is fascinating to me that we hold dear this idea of a great businessman or a great lawyer or a great doctor, but we don't in any way, shape or form credit or, or, mm-hmm. or, or pay the, mm-hmm. the, the pieces of that, yeah. right? If, if, if a, if any one of those disciplines was a rocket ship, right? right? All of the pieces of the rocket get compensated very well. Boeing makes a mm-hmm. lot of money making mm-hmm. rockets for NASA, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at a person who's successful as a successfully launched rocket, you mm-hmm. would hope that the components to that rocket were fairly compensated. And they're yeah. just not, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. Th- that's, that's the baseline is like if we don't care about what – the, the, you know, and, and, you know, not to bring in, you know, police and stuff, but again, I, 
I, I don't even blame the police officers that are that like with all the hate that's happening and and all the mistakes they're making. Because if you don't pay people in these positions fair wages, you're not going to get great people to do those jobs. The great people are going to do the jobs that pay more or that are more interesting avenues of that skill, like you, right? It's a more working at the museum is a more interesting use of your time than working in a broken education system. Well, sort of. I mean, I I, I hear what you're saying. I think. In my case, it's – I just never jived with the whole teacher thing. Um, but if you have a passion – every single day I meet and talk to super passionate, excellent teachers who remain – and it's, it's amazing. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's nice to see. But they remain in that position – knowing that they that there are other choices for them that they could be making more or whatever but they do it because they do they believe they are truly down for the cause um, but do you think those amazing. are the anomalies I, no i don't actually um I, I i honestly don't i think um i think everybody's talented in their own different way and some are more talented than others and that happens throughout but i think um you know if, if i had a room full of 100 teachers uh you know the vast majority if you had a conversation with them are in it for the right reason and want to make the right difference. And it's, and it's, and it's, that's the thing. It's like, you're constantly surprised. Um, I I, I am surprised that that, that's, that's your experience. I know. Yeah, I know. Um, Are they mostly science teachers? um, Well, I'd say science and elementary teachers are probably the ones that I interface with the most. Um, Yeah. But yeah, and so fascinating. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot there's a lot of good work that's out there. I don't think that it gets valued. Um, I don't think that they, I don't think they get valued both monetarily. I don't think that they get valued in their expertise, and not just from society in lar- at large, but by the system itself. Um, uh, you know, it's yeah. I mean. I, Again, thinking about this past year in the pandemic and this idea that um, when schools were taken away and people realized, like, the the multiple roles that a school and a teacher have to play, like, it's not just about education. It's not just about you open your curriculum book and you do it and then you're off for the summer. Like, it, it provides some really basic foundation to how society works, not about how educating the next generation is. If, if kids weren't at school all the time, parents would not be able to do most of the things that we've been doing. The, the transition from a mostly single income family to double income family that's allowed, I, I think that's contributed to the sort of stagnation in wages anyway, because now you know, companies are able to distribute it out to two people instead of one. Um, you know, that is impossible if you don't have your kid, most of your kids sort of. As, as many day. people and learn this year. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, so because of that, like the fact that we're not having a conversation right now about like, like upping teacher wages to the, to the, is as high as they could possibly go because holy cow, do we need them? <laughs> and and, um, and, yeah, it's, amazing and it's not from a lack of pop culture trying, which is what almost is more mm. concerning 
I don't know. Did you ever watch um, um, some good news on YouTube? It was John Krasinski's pandemic oh, uh, weekly yes, news yes, thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched a couple episodes. Yeah, it's 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 hysterical. I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. And one of the episodes, he he goes on a little rant and says, "Just want to let everyone know, I'm going to start a petition for teachers to be making a million dollars a year because I have three kids and it yes. really is concerning as to what I have to do." And then, like, there's yeah. a whole Twitter thing with, like, a bunch of celebs. I think, like, Drew Barrymore and a yeah. bunch of other people started retweeting what he said. And, like, there's a moment in, like, May of last year where I yeah. thought there might have been this higher-needed conversation about teachers' wages yeah. and, 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 and the abuse, even, that they think, like, like, teachers should be getting help as well. They have to deal with crazy dynamics. Yeah. Right? Crazy. Uh, Yeah, and absolutely. And and then the other thing we learned this year is that, hey, a lot of teachers have families and kids too. So not only, you know, that's the crazy thing. Like, there was so much pressure being put on the school systems to reopen because people needed their kids occupied for certain parts of the day. But then it was like, well, what the hell are the teachers going to do when their kids are home? Like, it's just, it is completely nuts what you know that whole thing that happened um is completely nuts when you when you kind of drill down and think about it and the fact that we still are you know now that we're starting to open up and return to normal again we have not gone back to those conversations about compensation and about value um yeah i don't know and so maybe i guess if you're talking about you know it it, using pop culture as a tool to kind of help that kind of stuff um i think that's that's interesting. I mean, you know, um, would something out there resonate where teachers are the heroes and all of a sudden, you know, everyone who wants to be a teacher? <laughs> I, I feel <laughs> like everyone, everyone should be a teacher, right? Like maybe, you know, uh, are you familiar with NFTs? A little bit. I was hoping that we were going to have an episode where somebody was going to actually give me more of an explanation. I know we, will, we will definitely do an episode when, when it's the three of us and we'll do some some NFT stuff. I have some big Beyond Kuiper NFT news that we'll, 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 we'll uh, spoil in a future episode. But I'll give you the quick download. So the part of it that I find interesting is that it allows an artist or a brand that owns the art to perpetually benefit from every mm-hmm. resale of that art through the smart contracts. Mm-hmm. If I sell you an original beyond Kuiper piece of art for $500. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in five years, you sell it for 5,000. The smart contract mm-hmm. will allow me to, at our point of purchase, uh, designate five, 10 or 15% perpetual uh, uh, revenue mm-hmm. going to the original artist. So, so just, to, just to put it in, so that I can think about, sorry to interrupt, but so mm-hmm. for example, there's always the stories that like the impressionists in, in France in the 1870s, right? Like you could buy their art for like five bucks and now it's some of the most. So if that was around at the time, the original artists, Van Gogh or whoever, or his descendants would be getting larger and larger checks, basically a royalty for the rest of time. Exactly. Exactly. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And it's built into the smart contract. So it's all mm-hmm. on the blockchain. So when that sale happens, it automatically mm-hmm. sends it. There's no, no, mm-hmm. I don't have to go to you and say, hey, did you sell the painting this quarter? Right, I just, right, it's right. just, it's just automatic in the smart contract and the way the wallet and blockchain work. Imagine mm-hmm. if teachers were the same way. 
Imagine if teachers had like 1% of a student's life revenue as part of their compensation. How great would the education system be? That's funny. That's an interesting. That's an interesting idea. Um, it goes back to my rocket analogy, right? Like, like yeah, there, yeah. there are there are teachers that I, I I feel have integral roles in shaping the way that I think about things today, from a sure. seventh grade history teacher to some of my college professors and a few in between. Mm-hmm. And the the school always asks for a donation back. But like right. the teacher's really the reason that you sure. enjoyed sure. it, not the not the institution. So like right, it right, would right. be fascinating if there was a way to to create the system that way. It is it is more commune esque, but well, I don't it's know. Also more it's also more competitive though. I mean you're I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. I think that's a super creative idea, and something. I don't know how I feel about it necessarily, just because I feel like it. I feel like again, it it further commodifies education because I I really do think that we need to start talking about education as something that you need as a person for fulfillment and to be a person, as opposed to because you're gonna earn more money, right? Like, like I I celebrate the well-educated, you know, laborer or something like that, like, right? So that you, great person, fantastic, maybe doesn't have the most splashy job or whatever, but that's okay because we we value people, not their jobs, you know what I mean? So I would be a little afraid that that becomes, you know, teachers are going to be super educating their kids so that they keep just churning out millionaires so that they get this, and that, you know, the motivation is that. But still, Whatever. I mean, that's that would be a great piece of fiction, right? Is to like take this idea and then see where it would go in several different directions and see what happens. I love that. Oh, that's such an in- yeah. We we need to fix the education system, and it needs to be, and and it can't be this. Pol- I don't even want to get into it. the politics of it. Just infuriate <laughs> me. Oh my god, that that's a rabbit hole that that we don't want to do. Um, but what, what is, um, but let, let's talk about the fiction side. Sure, what, sure. what, what are your thoughts on just fiction in general in society? Do you think that if there wasn't stories, fictional stories that, that, that were either in, in prose form, TV films, mm-hmm. would, would we have a society that's functional? Do we need that escapism in the form of a, a, a fiction to perpetuate productive society, in your opinion. Yeah, totally. We don't, I, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not, it's, you know, not just escapism in the sense of like being able to turn your brain off and take a rest. I think you, I think we have to have that fantasy. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think, when you're talking about that, it makes me think like, like you think of how your brain works and like when you get really down to it, like reality is this construction that happens in your skull in that, you know, and then when you're talking about sort of like physics, like you don't ever really touch anything because nothing, you know, there's always some sort of a gap between molecules, but it's these sort of sensations that get transitioned through your skin and into your brain and your brain sort of says, oh, I'm touching a smooth thing or whatever. Um, So it's almost like who we are is a, is a fiction in some ways. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a constructed piece of 
sensory inputs that are being put together and, and we all share sort of the same definition of what certain things should be. Um, and so uh, maybe we that, need that, fiction. That's, I, I, not to cut you off, but that, that is, it's so fascinating that you said that we are in essence fiction because I saw, I was reading a quote the other day from Jim Carrey, which kind of says that in, in a really interesting way. And it's something I'd never thought about before. But he had a quote where he goes, depression is just your soul telling you to change your skin. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. It, yeah, it was, it was yeah. such, a, such a poetic way of, be, of effectively saying the same thing that when you're feeling down, it's because you're not being you. You're not putting forward the mm. fiction or the idea that you really mm. are. You're trying to do something for someone else. You're trying to push something else. And that is causing you to feel a certain way because you're not embracing who you are. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I, yeah. I was, it, yeah, I was, all, yeah. The, the, I think about that as like a motivator, right? So depression has a lot of negatives, but, but sometimes it can be a motivator for, for change and for, for other things. And I so think the, the biggest totally one, right? The biggest yeah. one is is Michael Jordan. Uh, the, the story that most people know. He was he was uh, cut from his seventh grade basketball team. Right. It made him super depressed, and he shot ten thousand free throws that summer to be right. better. And it, you, yeah. it was fuel. And he then became the best player at that high school. And I think mm-hmm. if he wasn't cut from that team and he was just benched, right? He was just right. kept on the team, which is participation right. trophies. Don't get me into those because those are the <laughs> downfall of society. We wouldn't have Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking from a Chicagoan, I agree. <laughs> I agree I'm a dude. I'm um, a huge. I'm a huge '90s Bulls fan. You know, oh Kerr, Pippen, Horry, uh, Fisher, <laughs> Jordan. Like, come on, that team was incredible. The '90. What well, it was '97 playoff game where Jordan plays with the flu and ends up yes. one of the best games of all. That was, that to me is one of the most inspiring moments ever. Like you could see him just like totally collapsing on the sidelines and then he'd get out there and just be amazing. And then he'd just like throw his guts out on the side. It was just amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I think it was what the 98 one where he just like crosses, um, Carl Malone, like crosses his knees, steps back, fades away for the, and he just like he just goes like this in uh, in the camera, and it's like it's like that's a level of greatness that few achieve, that stems sure. from a moment of depression, that stems from a moment yeah. of pushing, of pushing yeah, yeah. the human complex to be as good as it can be, which. Mm-hmm. Which converges on this whole conversation of, you know, the right buttons from the right educators, the right escapism, mm-hmm. the right ideas. If we don't mm-hmm. nurture those things, then we don't yeah. we don't create a society of greatness. Yeah, I agree. And that's and that's exactly what I was. so so if you'd kind of take this sort of biological, physical thing of like, well, all of our reality is a construct in our brain anyway, and it's all a fiction. So maybe we need fiction, like our traditional notion of what fiction is maybe we need that because we, that's who we are anyway. Right. Um, and that, that is a motivator and it's our way of being able to envision a better life. Um, you know, problem solve. I mean, 
you know, going back to your original thing about, you know, the creativity of scientists and things like that. Um, I, I agree that there are a lot, you know, there tons of science, tons of scientists are already cre- are also creative. They make music or they paint or whatever. But to me, that's not, that's not where the creativity and science comes together. For me, science, engineering, technology, math, all that stuff is already a creative endeavor. It's, it is in and of itself. We don't have to even qualify a scientist as saying like, oh, and he's creative too, because she's a, a musician. Like, no, it, you're a scientist. You're a creative, right? Um, you're a writer. You're a creative. But hey, you're a writer. I'm sure that you've got also processes and some sort of analytical side to your writing that has to happen. You've got to, you know, you have Very to learn true. sentence construction, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's that's not super creative, as we've all sat through ninth grade grammar class and had to, you know, had to diagram sentences that had nothing to do with, with <laughs> what we thought was writing. So I, I just, I guess my... I guess what I'm getting at is that, you know, the more that we talk about in the more education also perpetuates this idea that there is these separates. Um, we're, we're actually hurting both sides. Um, another quick example is, you know, uh, you know, STEM education is kind of taken over for what we used to just call science class, but STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. And a lot of people try to say STEAM and it's S, the science, technology, engineering, arts and math and it's very appealing to, to think oh yeah we need arts integration and blah 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 but but and i'm you know i'm a creative and i'm a science guy but i feel like the steam or that a does a disservice to both arts and science because what it does is it it, it perpetuates this idea that science isn't creative so you have to have arts or arts isn't complete, so you have to have STEM, or you have to have science, or whatever. That's um, a, uh, such a great point, because when you, like, science, right? Like, to your point, and, and, and one of the mantras that I like to uh, run with is that all science started as fiction, right? Yeah. So that means that at some point, a scientist had an idea that was creative, that was fiction, and then used the scientific method to prove the hypothesis into mm-hmm. actuality. So to your mm-hmm. point, it, 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 it actually is a misnomer to say that science isn't artistic because you can't have science without a unique idea that is your hypothesis. In, in and of mm-hmm. itself, it, it is creative. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And engineering is the same way, right? Engineering is all about problem solving. And you, you spend so much of your time as an engineer thinking through the problem and running scenarios in your head. That's super creative. You're, you're creating dialogue, you know, out of nothing, basically. And you are out of your mind if you tell me that a Ferrari engine isn't the most artistic thing you've ever looked at. Sure. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Right. That is, that is a work of art. Literally. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, engineers in and of its, themselves as a class are, are like in love with elegance. It's, you know, they're always trying to look for solutions that are the most efficient, the most compact, the most, you know, that gets rid of all the fluff, um, which is what, you know, there are tons of threads of, of visual art that try to do that. Minimalism is all about that. Anyway. That's so, it, I, I love it. What, if you could, and, and this is probably longer than a single answer, but 
try to compact it down. If you could, like, open a school, right, what would be the most important, you know, methodology or, like, mission statement? Like, what what is, what are we doing today versus what could we do tomorrow that, that would drastically fixes the wrong word, but shift the perspective into providing more opportunity for kids to not say no at the door and maybe explore right. more sciences. Right. Um, well, a couple of things. And, and you know, and, yeah, a couple of things. One, you got to recognize that kids come at this as, as people themselves, right? They're fully formed beings. They don't walk into a school... Um, as it's complete blank slate, they, they come in with baggage and with things and with, with ideas and themselves, and you have to meet them where they're, where they're, it goes back to your individualized sort of metaphor or not metaphor, but your story before about your, um, the, the writing teacher. So recognizing who these little people are that come in, um, and, you know, kind of finding out what they're interested in, setting up environments where they can explore on their own and what's interesting to them. And then being mindful of, you know, being able to understand sort of the continuum of development so that you can place objects or scenarios or ideas down that kind of brings, you know, brings them from one baseline to the next baseline, but on their own pace and based on kind of what they gravitate to. Um, and then, you know, and then, awareness is a huge deal. Just being able to be aware of, of all the things that are out there. Um, and again, I, I don't think, I think that we, you know, we know a lot about what is good learning and what makes a good learning environment, look good learning situation. Um, we just don't implement it, um, fully because, because of many, many different reasons, because of tradition, because of pressures from, you know, different political entities or whatever. It's just, um, it's just amazing to me. So it's, I don't feel like the future of education is so far out of our reach because I think we have a lot of great building blocks right now. We're just not doing it. Um, we don't, we, there are a lot of things that we don't know. You know, we don't really know exactly how everybody learns. We know that we, we know sort of cause and effect things, but how all that stuff happens in the brain, we're still trying to, to figure out a little bit, but, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think that there are some really basic things about sort of respecting kids as, as these entities that have a voice and have something to say and have opinions um, and that they're not just dependent upon what you're pouring into their head and being responsive to that, I think is, boy, that's, that makes a huge difference. Imagine um, a modular education experience where not everyone has exactly the same. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's possible with robotics and AI, where yeah. it's not a teacher, oh, totally. right? Who and obviously we don't want to take away teachers because I, I think teachers and human teachers have a lot of uh, mm -hmm. benefits. But mm -hmm. in terms of individualizing a curriculum mm -hmm. for millions of kids, mm -hmm. a module AI probably would be the only way that that could potentially be realized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I think, you know, that's a big challenge. Oh, frankly, that's a big challenge for my museum right now. We've just spent over a year basically turning, 
turning ourselves into a media producer because we're doing all of our stuff online and we've had to learn all kinds of new stuff. We've bought a ton of cameras, like we're producing videos and stuff like that. Um, and now that we're starting to transition back to in-person kind of stuff, we're really trying to figure out like what we're not, we're not going to throw all those skills out the window just because all of a sudden we're back to quote unquote normal. Right. So how do we integrate what we've come how do we figure out what really worked and what we want to preserve from this year and bring it into what's happening in the future? And I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said for everybody's comfort now with, with media as a teaching tool. And I think that can really help, um, can really help that sort of individualized learning that there's times when you're coming together as a group and you're doing group work and then you're able to kind of go out I think teachers are starting to learn the skills and how to be able to track the individualized work a little bit better. Um, you know, I always um, also thought, you know, cause I do a lot, you know, most of my, all my career is outside of school. Um, you know, I always think about how do you also value the experiences that you get outside of school? So if you're, you know, you're really interested in dinosaurs and you take um you spend part of your summer vacation doing a paleontology summer camp. Why doesn't that count in the grand scheme of your academic career? This is the same as if you take your math class in seventh grade. I, right? I spent every day at the natural history museum reading every single wall of the dinosaur. Section. Right. And I guarantee that that made as much, at least as much of an impression on what you learned in your class than anything else in your education. Um, it probably influences writing, influences all kinds of stuff, right? So, so when, so in the sort of system, right, you get graded and you get these sort of merit points, and then that takes you to the next level of the system. So, why, if you're doing all of that work on your own time because you're interested in something, why that's not valued and sort of seen as part of this holistic educational experience for you, Matt, um, is ridiculous. And you know, I. Maybe it's a badge system, maybe it's a whatever, but I think that there's a technological solution that starts to value those kind of things some more. Well, it, it, it's interesting that you say that because it is valued when you're older, where you can get certificates sure. up to wazoo for <laughs> a million things, right? You yeah. can get your Google Analytics certificate, you can get that certificate and this certificate right. that are that are a six-week course, maybe. Right. To your point, why aren't those things that are really just indicators of a will to learn, which is yeah. really all people be care celebrated. about. 100%. That's fascinating. I've actually never thought about it from that point of view, which is, you know, when I spent time in the Hayden Planetarium and learned and learned that Pluto wasn't a real planet there and then brought that into my classroom and started a conversation, that right. was just like, good job, right? But like, right. there was no real celebration about it. There was no right, like, right. oh, wow, you spent time and you researched and you did all of these things right. to get to a place where you had confidence to say something right. in a classroom. That even right. in of itself, that journey, to your point, the outside the classroom, having enough confidence to take a piece of knowledge and say it in front of 30 of your peers at the age of nine is, mm -hmm. a, mm -hmm. is a scary proposition to a nine-year-old. Mm -hmm. Right? Because yeah. if you say something wrong, they're never yeah. forgetting it. <laughs> Very unforgiving audience. <laughs> oh, kids are savages. Kids are Dude, the worst. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, did you guys ever see the did you guys ever see the movie Accepted? 
with yes. the no. song back in 06. So yes, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's hilarious. It's a, great, it's a great movie, but the concept was the kids didn't get into college, so they just okay. bought this rundown hospital. Oh, and turned yes, it into, yes. And they all kind of made, they made their own curriculum about right. what they wanted to learn. And at the end of the day, right. it was like the kids who were skateboarding were really learning engineering and physics. So yeah. I think there is definitely a world like that that I believe could exist where everyone just kind of makes their own yeah. curriculum with what they want to do. Yeah, I totally agree. I, absolutely. And I yes, I've seen, I saw that movie when it came out. You're right. Uh, I, you know, it brings back memories. And I think, yeah, I think that that is... That is such a, that's where real learning, I think, happens. And I think schools can learn a lot from that and be more like that. Or we can value those experiences more and dump them into sort of our portfolio, our education portfolio. I mean, yeah, that that, that is, that's a great, I forgot about that movie. I think, uh, geez, that was, who was in that? Wasn't it the Apple guy? When, um, Justin, Justin Long. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and and Lewis Black was in it too. The, ah, the comedian. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's totally totally true. Totally, and that's I, I think those are those are the ideal situations. Oh, I know what I was going to say too. Um, along the same lines as that, there's a TED talk that I that I listen to. It's a repeat TED talk, so it's one that I've listened to many times, and I always get inspired by it. But it's by an educational researcher. His name is Sugata Mitra. And he developed this. He looked at education and developed this um, uh, this sort of th- thought about a school, which he called a soul, a self-organized learning environment. Um, and that if you put things, inspirations, whatever, in front of kids, they're going to they're gonna want to know about it. And they're going to learn all of this stuff. Um, that is maybe not directly like they're not taking a math class, but they're going to learn math from this one sort of inspiration. Um, and his really famous, the, how he came up with this was this, re- this really famous um, uh, investigation that he did in India where he put, um, this was like in 2000, he put a screen in a wall in a slum in India with a mouse and, um, and just walked away. Um, and these are kids who were, you know, had no formalized education at all. They're the poorest of the poor in one of the poorest countries. And so he puts the screen up with a mouse and he walks away, but he's able to, um, some sort of Microsoft program, he's able to track what they're doing. And he discovers that these kids start learning how to use the computer. Like this computer's in English and these are not English speaking kids but they're learning how to do all of this stuff and navigate through this thing completely on their own because it's something that they're interested in. And they, they, because they were interested, they started to get together and in over days and weeks, they, they worked this whole thing out. Um, and I think, you know, that's the, that is a is proof that we don't need all of these other, we don't need a lot of like formalized curriculum. We don't necessarily need a lot of standards. We don't need this whole sort of structure around education. It can, it's something that we as humans do anyway. We just have to, you know, support it and set up the right conditions for it to happen. Amen. Like skateboarding. Amen. <laughs> I, oh, I wish, I wish we could, 
tear down the education system and restart it uh, from, um, you know, from the the bottom because... I don't, it, it, know, I don't know, Matt. Heavy, heavy Metal High School? I don't know. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I am down. You know what's funny, though? Um, I, you know, I think one of the biggest barriers to that, though, man, is that you know, we all we all came out of this basically the same system. And when you have kids, there's a lot of fear about not screwing them up. And so you default to what worked because everybody thinks that they are you know, they got through the system fine. It worked for me. So then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap. Um, I have no other th- way of thinking about education. So I gotta perpetuate the system and make sure the system works the best because I gotta put my kid through it. And so it just sort of it, it's a little bit of fear-based, but it sort of perpetuates this idea that we have to keep that, you know, we have to keep that same model working because, you know, we've come this far with that model, you know, obviously it means that it works, um, which actually I don't think it does. And I think, I always think about like, what are we missing out on because we're perpetuating this model? I could say from experience though, we pulled my daughter out and we homeschool the, the kids now. Just oh, wow. She, she wasn't happy with it, and my son was only in kindergarten at the time. So it was kind of like, mm. let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And they're thriving. It's like we're teaching to what they want to learn. Like, see? my daughter was, see? my daughter really wasn't like, she wasn't into reading books. And now she goes through a book every two days because she's oh, reading awesome. what she wants to read instead of like, the, uh, to kill a mockingbird. No one wants to read that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> I enjoyed it. No one wants to read what you're told to read. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I, but I but, 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 but to your to your point, what could be interesting is wouldn't it be dope if you instead of said you have to read this book this week, said, Hey, here's twenty books that you should read during this year of your life and see mm-hmm. which order the kids read them in, which I'm mm. sure there's some analytical data that can help curate um, mm-hmm. around that to see what they 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 really um, gravitate towards, right? Like mm-hmm. there there are interesting ways to do it that I oh I, uh, I would I would I I've always said I'd love to end my career as a as a professor at a university on creative mm-hmm. writing, but maybe mm-hmm. we should just open a school. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, this conversation's like energizing me to be like maybe we should just do education better right <laughs> like education yeah. shouldn't be a taboo word and it shouldn't be people should be able to come out of it oh so much better but that is a that is a conversation for another day um oh my god if i knew what this conversation was gonna be my wife would be in here with so quickly, she has so much to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this this, this this is great, and we should we should talk more about education and ideas on how to get things um, better. Or, and mm-hmm. I don't like using the word right because I think it's ever evolving, right? Sure. And um, and yeah. Um, any any closing thoughts, Ben? Uh, no, I mean I, this is. This is my bread and butter. I don't know if we answered the original question, but um, but you know, 
I'm super happy to talk about this stuff. It, I think it, you know, these are vital, these are vital things that everybody should be talking about at all times. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we'll, we'll definitely make it more of a reoccurrence. Uh, cause I'd love to hear John's perspective yeah. on it too. You know, I mean, he had an interesting journey, you know, to Lockheed working mm. different places, but always knew he wanted to be in space. I didn't always mm-hmm. know I wanted to be a writer. So I'm curious mm-hmm. as to that journey. I'd love to, uh, love to hear that. Did you always know you want to be in science? Uh, yeah, for a pretty early age, but I, but I didn't stick with it the whole time. Um, I have a degree in English literature. Like there's, uh, I've, I've been in and out of this for a long time. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't have a through line. Um, yeah, we, I think that'd be fun to, to swap our stories and get our origin stories down. Yeah, let's do it. All right, well. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for letting us uh, ramble about science and education. Um, this was fun. It, it took a, a different direction than I was thinking at first, but I think this is the direction that it always needed to take, which is really cool. I think uh, everybody uh, who's listening, if you have any thoughts or comments, leave them in the comments on Apple or uh, tag us on a heavy metal post. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep learning. Not educating. Absolutely. Right? That's right, right, man. That's right. I love it. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye.